Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie really show on the planet at the John Campus Show podcast coming from right here in my uh, confined little office here in our studio. Uh, Jonathan Voico is, of course, out this week. He's taking care of some sick kiddos. And so uh, I'm having to do the show from my office, but that's okay because we're here to talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, all sorts of good things. Not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some solid information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or even completely different than ours. I'm very pleased again today to be joined by Sean Chandler. Sean, how are you doing today, sir? I am doing good today. We got some fun topics, and I even tried to dress appropriately for I, one of the topics. I was going to point out, you have definitely dressed to theme today. Uh, of course, guys, the Zelda stuff is one of the big things we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking about Kevin Feige addressing, you know, all the stuff going on with the Robert Downey Jr. rumors. We're going to talk about the Zelda movie they got announced. We're going to talk about who should be playing Link in Zelda. Also, the studio seemed to uh, watch the John Canvas show because as soon as we finished the show yesterday, they backed off those stupid AI demands. And we're going to talk about the first reviews for the Marvels coming out and the not so good outlook right now for their box office projections that has gotten even worse. But with all that down, guys, let's jump into it, shall we? And we're going to start off with this. You guys uh, know that the other day, uh, rumors started going around that Robert Downey Jr. has already agreed to come back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, a lot of people, including me, have been believing for a long time that at some point, it is inevitable, that Robert Downey Jr. would be coming back regardless. And then, of course, there was that article in Variety saying that they're looking at bringing back some of the OG Avengers and some tweets went out and all that kind of stuff. Well, Kevin Feige has decided to address this. He was asked about it in a recent interview, and he was suspiciously non-committal in the whole thing. This is what Kevin Feige had to say. It says, hmm, Kevin Feige says, Fallen Avengers returning. I literally have not even seen that. Come on, Kevin. It was in Variety. Of course you've seen that. Um, <laughs> I literally have not. It's not like it was on the John Campion show. It was in Variety. I literally have not seen that. Is that a new rumor? We did not discuss that at the retreat because Marvel just had their big annual retreat. It's the truth. We're doing a project with Scarlett. We love Robert. He's a part of our family. But in terms of returning, here's the big statement. We'll have to see. In terms of him returning, we'll have to see. How magnificently non-committal of Kevin Feige. Oh, Robert, don't you come back? Well, we'll have to see. All right, look, you, you guys know my feelings on this. I believe it is 100% the right thing for Robert Downey Jr. to come back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Iron Man is not just an important part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not just an important part of what fans have loved and adored about it. He has been one half, along with Chris Evans' as Steve Rogers, of being the heart and the soul of the MCU. Really, the faces of the MCU. The, the When the... Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark or Chris Evans as Steve Rogers are on screen, we as audiences feel like we're home. We feel 
like we're back. We feel more comfortable. Uh, unlike what Marvel's been doing a lot of lately, which is introducing new characters. And I'm not saying Marvel shouldn't introduce new characters. I'm just saying they've gone on a waterfall flooding of brand new characters without taking the time. Sean, I think you mentioned this the other day, without really taking the time to get us connected to those characters, start building those characters. Yeah, you introduce us to Shang-Chi. Great. Where the hell has he been for the last number of years? And all that kind of stuff. Still, Sean, I think being faced with the question and Kevin Feige being a little bit coy about it, I mean, not coming out and saying, yeah, Kevin, Robert Downey is coming back, but by kind of dodging the question and saying, we'll see. I don't know. Does this lead you to believe anything one way or the other? How did you interpret his words? I, I mean, what else is he going to say? What else can he say? And it's the situation where he's going to be asked this question until they are officially announced as returning. So even as just, you know, kind of critics that get to see movies early, you have to start learning how to dodge questions because people are like, well, I mean, I don't need to say yes or no, but can you just answer this? <laughs> and they're asking a question. The way that I answer this question, yes or no, or dodging it, also answers this other question because of the way I answered it. So you just have to give these empty non-answers that are non-committal and evasive. And it's it's not like any of us trust what they're saying anymore. I mean, we saw 1,000 Andrew Garfield interviews. Uh, no, I, what are you talking about? I don't know anything. I don't know anything. Like, yeah, yeah, you do, but you don't want to spoil it. So of course you can't say anything. Does, it, does his comments lead you to believe one way or the other, uh, you know, whether or not he's he's implying he isn't, he's implying he is, or do you think we're just no further ahead one way or the other than we were yesterday? I, I, I mean, I just don't believe these kinds of comments enough for it to really move the needle for me at all. But even when he's acknowledging like a point of reference for when we didn't talk about it, like, why is he bringing up the retreat? Like, why you brought up the retreat. So, like, are you indicating that you were planning things or whatever? Like, it just felt too specific. So, I mean, maybe there's some indication there. But him saying, oh, I've never even thought about that. I hadn't heard about that. All of this feels like it's deflection. It's dishonest. Like, you've never thought about bringing them back. Everyone <laughs> else has. So, of course, that's not true. So, I don't know. I, it just feels like empty stuff to me. Fun, empty stuff, but empty. All right, guys. Well, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, yesterday, news dropped out of nowhere that Nintendo has basically announced that a live action Zelda movie is in fact coming and it is official. Now, you guys will remember that we discussed this a lot around here, like after the Super Mario Brothers and the discussion was, well, what comes next after Super Mario Brothers? Other than a sequel, the only real answer that's on the plate for a Nintendo-based thing is The Legend of Zelda. I mean, that's that's it. That's the other thing you have that's even remotely close to the legacy, to the popularity, to the multi-generational appeal that the Super Mario Brothers had. And then we had a bit of a debate about whether or not it should be animated, it should be live action. You guys know I was very firmly, it should be live action, you should do it. And that is what they are doing. This comes from the folks over at Coming Soon who wrote the following. Nintendo has revealed a live action, The Legend of Zelda movie is on the way. 
In a press release from Nintendo, it was announced that development will begin on a live-action The Legend of Zelda movie. It will be directed by Wes Ball, who was best known for his work directing The Maze Runner, Maze Maze Runner Scorched Trials, Maze Runner The Death Cure, and the upcoming, and this is the part that gets some people excited, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. And you guys know that the trailer for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes just dropped the other day. And it looks remarkable. I haven't been all that excited for the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes movie. And then I saw that trailer. And that trailer just hit all the right buttons. It struck all the right notes. I instantly got really fascinated by it. And then following up on that momentum, Nintendo comes out. They says we're going to be doing a Zelda movie. And it's going to be live action. And oh, the guy who's directing that Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes movie that looks so good. That's the guy who's going to be directing this. Now, look, I know there is going to continue to be debate because I've seen a bunch of you guys sending me messages too about, man, I really think it should have been animated. I thoroughly disagree. I thoroughly disagree that this should be animated. I 100% believe that this should be a live action project because honestly, and quite frankly, when it comes to the properties that Nintendo has that they can even make into movies, I think that's limited. What's even more limited is the properties that you have that could potentially be live action. Like, I, I don't think you can do Mario live action. I mean, they tried to do that once and uh, obviously that didn't really work <laughs> out. I think you have the opportunity here. You have a property in Legend of Zelda that has all the makings for a truly epic sword and sandal, epic fantasy kind of live action film. I'm not going to do what everybody else does and says, it could be the next Lord of the Rings. I'm not going to say it could be the next Lord of the Rings, but I think this could be really, really special. And I love, love the fact that they said they're going to do this in live action. Now, Sean, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are very, very happy to hear this news. But in that group of people that are happy to hear it, I think there are probably are going to be a lot of people who have always kind of envisioned you know, if they did a Link movie, if they did a Zelda movie, that it was going to be animated. I'm thrilled to hear that it's going to be live action. How do you feel about it? And what do you see as the pros and cons of, you know, doing something either live action, animated? How do you take this? So I was having those same conversations when Mario came out. And in my mind, this one could go either way. I'm more inclined to be interested in the live action, but I can fully respect that after seeing what they did with Mario, that 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 could work. Um, But with Zelda, you're talking about a franchise where you have characters that are pre-established. It is a much more kind of plot-based game. And it's in a reality that is easy to envision in live action. You think Super Mario Brothers, the game is a freaking acid trip. It's a shroom trip where you're literally like jump into the pipe, pop off of the mushroom, weird creature, you jump on his head. Like, how do you do that in live action and make it where you you can't? Whereas guy with a sword, shield, bow and arrow, that can be really, really cool. And so it like, in my mind, I think there's room to do live action. Then again, they did that SNL skit with uh, Pedro Pascal. And I kind of want to see that dark bleak take on Mario now (laughs) after that bit. But besides that, Mario doesn't translate. Link, I think, can. But what you mentioned about Wes Ball, this guy 
a month ago, I wouldn't have thought too much. Like West Ball, the Maze Runner guy, they're fine movies. Then, as you said, that trailer, it hit all the right buttons that I wanted it to hit. And then with this announcement, you go, are the are the Sony people seeing the footage and going, this guy's the next A-lister. This, this guy's getting the real deal. We got to snatch him for our next big franchise. That's what it kind of feels like in my mind. So, um, and then it's a very effects heavy film with apes. And so there's just a lot of things where you can see the, the translation of how one might prep him to do the other. Right. So this gets me excited. Um, I, and I, I think with animation, um, I don't know. I think inherently it feels a little bit more kiddie. It, it feels a little bit more we're aiming for a younger audience versus if you do bows and arrows, live action, big monsters, it feels like we're going for a, an, an mm. older audience. Um, whether that's good or bad, uh, you can determine for yourself. But um, I, I, I would lean towards live action, but I could be convinced the other way. Now, the next big debate. That has already started, actually. It started back when discussions of a Link movie even started to come up is, should Link speak? Should Link talk? I mean, I, I get there are going to be some video game purists that feel, no, he should. But listen, even go through the games, Link communicates. And I think if you're going to translate to the live action screen, I personally fall, and I know this pisses some people off, I personally fall on the side that Link should speak. I think he should be a talking character. Where do you fall on that hot button issue? Well, as someone that was born in 1981, they had a Zelda animated show in the late 80s. Right. And he even yeah. had a catchphrase where he goes, excuse me. So <laughs> if we don't get an excuse me in this movie, what are we even doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's it's really tough to, to have a lead character that's not speaking. Um, so I, you just limit yourself with it when you do those sorts of choices. So I, I don't want to present myself as an expert. I do still have my copy of the legend of Zelda that I got back in the eighties. I played a link to the past, but I haven't followed up on the more recent games, but um, I, I just think you have to, you, you limit yourself very heavily when you start saying, we're not going to do things like that. All right, guys. Question is, what do you feel about this? A live action Zelda movie is coming. I think that's fantastic. And I think it's extra fantastic that they're going to do it live action. It's bold. It's, I, I like what Sean said about that because not that animation is for, is just for kids. Nobody's suggesting that. But when you look at what Nintendo did with the Super Mario Brothers, it was clearly a little bit more lean towards kids and children. That's kind of what they were doing there. If they can come out of the gate and do something like epic, and I know that's an overused word, but like really epic live action fantasy sort of thing with a Zelda movie, I think that could be really, really killer or absolutely terrible. We'll find out. All right, guys. <laughs> With that down, let's move on and talk about this in a connected sort of way. You know, the movie's coming, going to be live action. I think we agree that he should speak. But now that brings up the big issue. Who should play Link? I'm seeing a lot of websites all over the place, understandably putting up their picks about who they think should play Link and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Personally, I think the answer is obvious. It's Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt should be our link, but no, <laughs> I, I, I jest, but I do think there are a couple of strong candidates to play link. And I thought we would take a couple of minutes to go over them. Now I'm going to mention some that I think are interesting, would be interesting picks, but at the end of the day, I've got one guy in mind. I have one guy in mind. Let's start with some of the interesting ones. One of the interesting ones I think would be 
I mean, Timothy Chalamet. I mean, he's kind of got the right sort of look. Not that the look is the most important thing. It's not. But he's got a pretty good look to it. He's the only actor alive right now that I think has the potential to maybe someday be the next Daniel Day-Lewis. Not that he's as good as Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm just saying I think he's the one guy out there right now who's got the potential to become that. He's still really young, all that kind of stuff. Ray made this great image. Just I got to bring this up. Ray made this image before we started. I <laughs> There it is. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. As Link, I love that image that Ray made. But yeah, so I think Timothy Chalamet would be an interesting one. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous performer. He's one of the best actors on the planet. You can't ever go wrong with something like that. Another name that is brought up a lot is because Avi Arad is going to be a producer on this. And he is, of course, the producer of a bunch of Spider-Man stuff. A lot of people believe Tom Holland is going to be the guy. <laughs> and now look, if they announce tomorrow that Tom Holland is going to play Link. I'm not going to complain. He's a wonderful actor. Um, I think there's definitely some things he could bring to it, so I won't complain. I really don't think it's going to be him, though. And he wouldn't be on my list, personally. Like, if the studio called me up and asked me for some recommendations, I, I wouldn't have Tom, despite the fact that he's a really great actor. I, I just don't see the fit there. But a lot of people are talking about it. You can't doubt his popularity. He is really popular. So I'm not going to be stunned if tomorrow we wake up and find out they've gone with him. But we'll see. Well, it, it's like the Chris Pratt with voice acting. Yeah. Chris Pratt is best for every part. Seems like Tom Holland is the guy they throw out there for every franchise, in particular at Sony. It just feels like that. Like, I get it. He's great. We all like him. And he could fit. But this feels very uninspired. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, I I agree. So all right, let's move on to my my next person who I I would be very intrigued if they went with this guy. Justice Smith, who I liked in Detective Pikachu. And he's got other work that he's been good in, but I'll tell you what, the thing that makes me the the project that makes me think of him for this was his turn in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. A, a movie that I absolutely loved, did terrible at the box office, but I absolutely loved the movie regardless. And when you look at the type of charm that he's able to bring to his character, there's an innocence and a charm and just something he's able to emote with characters that not a lot of actors can. And so I, I for one, would honestly be pretty intrigued by a Justice Smith uh, playing it. Okay, let me pull out another name here. I haven't seen anybody else mention this one. As other people have mentioned Timothy Chalamet, Tom Holland, Justice Smith, but I haven't seen anybody mention uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, who you most of you guys will remember him from the Shazam films. But I think this is a kid who's got a lot of upside. I, I really, really do. And whatever you think about the Shazam movies, when you look at the type of personality that he infused into his character in those films, I think there's a lot of potential that he has. And I think somebody, I mean, obviously he'd need a haircut. <laughs> like, no doubt he would need a haircut. But I think there'd be something really interesting about him to come into the role. So if they announced tomorrow that uh, Jack Dylan Grazier was going to be the new Link, I, I would be intrigued by it. I'd be intrigued. But... And I don't normally like doing X actor and X role. And I hate the idea of saying only 
one person can play this role. So, so I'm not going to do that. But if in this imaginary scenario that would never happen in a million years, that Sony actually called me and asked for recommendations, I would say, you know what? I could give you a list, but at the end of the day, there's really only one name that I would really be super excited about. And listen, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of actors that could do just as well. I'm just saying off the top of my head, the name that comes to me that I think would be perfect for this, not knowing how they're going to write the character, is Walker Scoble. I love this kid. Um, I became an instant fan of his in The Adam Project. Like an absolute inst- instant fan of his in the ad. The way he was able to play off Ryan Reynolds and sometimes steal scenes from Ryan Reynolds. Playing a younger version of Ryan Reynolds is not an easy thing to do, and he did it. Then, Sean, I don't know if you saw it, that terrible little movie that he did with Owen Wilson, uh, Secret Headquarters, where he finds out his dad's a superhero. Terrible movie. (laughs) Had some upside, (laughs) but I mean, overall, terrible movie. But somehow, this this is when I know I really like an actor. When an actor is in a really bad movie, and yet they still impress me. And I really liked him in that. And all the stuff I've seen from the upcoming Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Now, good. They might want to go with somebody a little bit older, in which case that kind of disqualifies Scoble. But I love the idea of this kid as Walker, uh, as Link, as Walker Scoble as Link. I love the pick. And um, I don't know if that'll turn out. And whoever they pick, I'm sure would be great. But that would be my actual number one pick. So, Sean, as we talk about a Zelda movie and a potential project and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have any names that come to your head when you start to envision who could play this, this lead character of Link? Yes. I wrote a few names down right off the bat. I had Walker on my list as well. Nice. And for the same reasons, I mean, the Adam project, if you're able to play against Ryan Reynolds, you've got talent. <laughs> like you, you've got a future. <laughs> I think the one concern in my mind is, is, two fantasy things, two franchises. So going Percy Jackson and going to Link, that's the one thought in my mind of like, is it just too much in the same ballpark? They're very different, but there's a little bit of overlap in the fantasy realm there. But he was absolutely on my list. One that wouldn't have been on my list a few months back, but uh, Jacob uh, Alodi, I I haven't seen any of his work until I saw Saltburn about a month ago. And he's one of these guys that – don't know who he is. He's playing against all these actors that I do know much better and just immediately captivating screen presence, just immediate charm, charisma. One of those people that you just see and immediately go, um, this guy should be in more stuff. This guy's going places. I, I'm concerned. Is he too good looking? And is he too tall? <laughs> um, of complaints, those are low down the list. But this guy's like six foot five. Like he's gigantic and, and just towers over everyone. But such a screen presence. And this then uh, Thomas Brody Sangster that just kind of has that look. He was in the Maze Runner movies, so he has that West Ball connection. He was in Game of Thrones, so he's done something in his ballpark, but not too recently. So those are three names that kind of came to mind as someone that for different reasons and in different ways could potentially bring something cool to the the table. Well, guys, this is going to be like the next discussion over the next year or so of who's the next James Bond, who's the next Batman. I think you're going to get a lot of people wanting to talk about and discuss and have a lot of different opinions about who should be 
link. And I'm sure you guys have some opinions about that and you'll have a chance to kind of give your opinions a little bit later. All right, guys, listen. We still need to talk about the current situation with the actor strike and some new developments that have happened there. I mean, we might hear that the strike is over by the time the show's over. Who knows? We've thought that before and it never happened. Also, the first reviews for the Marvels has come out. They're higher than I thought, but it's still Marvel not living up to the first three phases. And it looks like the box office is going to be quite a struggle. We're going to talk about those things and a whole bunch more. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at Fume and Rocket Money. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Fume. Quitting cold turkey is great in theory, but you and I both know it's way more difficult than that. And that's why there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some fake online promises. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume. And they look at the problem in a different way. Instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavor air device that does just that. See, instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. I personally didn't know what to expect when I first got my Fume. I mean, I've never liked vapes, but my goodness, the taste. The first time I tried it, I was completely sold on it. It was incredible. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 150,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. You gotta try the new Solano Fume. It's made with a premium walnut barrel and an onyx-coated mouthpiece that has a slightly softer finish. Start the holidays off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com campia and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 20% off until December 1st when they use my code campia to help make starting the good habit that much easier. So start the good habit at tryfume.com campia to save an additional 20% off the journey pack today until December 1st and 10% off year round. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's episode, Rocket Money. Do you struggle to save money every month? With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify all those sneaky subscriptions that keep charging you month after month and cancel any you no longer use. For example, did you know that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about? It's too easy to subscribe to a free trial of something and then completely forget about it once you stop using it. That's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money. I've told you guys before that when I started using Rocket Money, I realized that I was still subscribed to a gym in another city I had moved away from two years ago. Also, my music service? Yeah, I found out I was still subscribed to two others. How much do you think you're paying a month on subscriptions? Most people think they're paying 80 bucks a month, but they're actually paying closer to 200. That's why I use Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. With over 5 million users and counting, Rocket Money has helped save its customers on an average of $720 a year and $1 billion in total savings so far. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Fume and Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to talk about this, shall we? Uh, for those of you who watched the show yesterday, uh, you know that the actor strike, which has now gone on 118 days, 118 days, there were some people 
who really didn't think that the strike was going to last all that long. And yet here we are going on to four months that the strike has been happening. Now, there's been a lot of back and forth, a lot of, you know, digging in their heels, a lot of trying to play it out in the public court of opinion when that's useless, that doesn't make your deals happen. But it came down to yesterday, one issue. The studios were wanting the right. They put in their last best and final offer that they wanted the right to digitally scan actors and have the ability to reuse their image and their likeness without compensation and without permission. And they wanted the right to be able to use the likeness of dead actors without needing to get the permission from the estate or families of those dead actors. I cannot, I'm not going to relaunch into my entire rant from yesterday, but it's one of the most asinine, idiotic things I have ever heard. Now, what we then heard was about five minutes after the show ended that the studios had gone back to the actors and they changed the language in. Apparently, they backed off a number of the things that were in that, which is good to hear. So could a deal be close? Maybe. This comes just from the folks over at Deadline who wrote the following. Facing a technology that is clearly evolving in leaps and bounds, the Guild wants to see uh, sturdy guardrails, as a SAG-AFTRA source termed it, that will protect its 160,000 members, both in terms of compensation and rights to their likeness. While the gap between what the AMPTP is now offering and what the Guild is seeking has significantly narrowed uh, in the past 36 hours, they say they are close but not there yet, according to the SAG-ACTRA source. We're told that the Guild leaders, too, were hopeful that Tuesday, this was just last night, was all about Lombardi and Crabtree Ireland, the negotiators for SAG, hammering out the details and fine print. Okay, so we have found ourselves in this situation a couple of times in the last few weeks where, oh my gosh, it looks like they could have a deal. But from what we understood, the big, big hurdle that was in the way was this language at the studio, this idiotic language that the studios were trying to put in about AI and digital likeness and, and being able to steal their image and their likeness and use their likeness without compensation or permission, just absolutely asinine. But it sounds like they realized that was stupid and have backed off that a bit. So could a deal be imminent? Uh, let me put it this way. I was told uh, about 10 minutes before starting the show today that I needed to keep my phone handy and keep my eye on my text messages coming in because apparently the finish line is in sight. Now, whether or not they hit another big snag approaching the finish line like they did a couple of weeks ago and then like they did again this weekend has yet to be seen. But from what we're hearing, the major hurdles have been cleared now. And it's all about, as that deadline article says, hammering out those final details, getting those last little issues squared away. I'm hoping that by the end of the show today, but again, we've said this before, that maybe by the end of the show today, and it has never happened, maybe today is the day. Maybe not. I don't know. But it at least sounds like that big, ridiculous AI thing is out of the way. Listen, they've gotten past the residual stuff. That's all cleared up. It sounds like maybe they've gotten past the AI thing. That's all cleared up. 
So hopefully now it's just about the fine details and getting into this. Sean, uh, did you hear about this AI stuff? I mean, AI is a technology. It's a part of reality. Now it's going to be a part of the entertainment business. That's, that's fine. But this stuff about how the studios wanted to be able to have the rights to take their digital likeness, use them without permission, use them without future compensation. I, I, I don't know. What was your take on that? And with that seemingly out of the way, are you expecting we could hear a deal soon? Or do you think, you know what? It's too late at this point. They're probably not going to get this thing done till January. How are you feeling today about this? I, some of this is just so strange. Like we had this exact conversation two days ago. Yep. And we've been hearing the same thing for 12 days, basically, almost two weeks of like straight of like, it's about to be done. And you think that still yesterday, they're like, no, 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 we can't give up on this AI thing. How are we four and a half months into the actor strike? And that's like the sticking one where no one is on the side of the studios. Like, I understood why residuals are tricky, but like, you get to scan me and use me forever. You can revive the dead without permission. No one's on that side. Like no one thinks that's good. And especially this early in AI where it's evolving so quickly, that's the line you, you, you can't surrender that now because then you just, it's, it's, you know, Pandora's box, it's opened. So the fact that still yesterday, that was like, a, a like, mm, no, we really want to be able to do that is crazy. And that's where I kind of go. I mean, it feels like this is about to be resolved. And at the same time, why on earth were they still talking about that yesterday? I don't know. It's, some of it strikes me as just so weird, so clueless, and um, like just a, a disingenuous negotiating tactic of like, let's just last minute say, no, we're not going to give up on this just to see what they say. But I don't know. That, that, that was still being discussed yesterday is still like my br brain doesn't know where, how to compartmentalize that, where to put that information because it's so wacky. Anyway, uh, guys, here's hoping that at some point today, this whole nightmare situation can get put to an end. Television can get back into production. Movies can get back into production. Movies can start getting promoted. Movies don't have to get continuously pushed off their release dates. And actors can get out there and start supporting the movies that they're in. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see if we actually get there. All right, guys. With that all down, let's move on to this, shall we? The Marvels opens officially tomorrow, the newest installment of the MCU, an MCU that is in a place that it never thought it would be in, struggling. Now, granted, Marvel's definition of struggling would be considered massive success for a lot of other studios and their franchises. I acknowledge that. I'm not saying it's not. But by Marvel's standards, the MCU has been struggling. I think that's fair to say. I mean, it hasn't all been falling on its face. They've had some big, wonderful things that they've put out, right? Like Shang-Chi was fantastic. Ms. Marvel was fantastic. I'm liking Loki season two. Can't wait to see the finale tomorrow. But as a whole, the overall quality of their product has been down, right? I, I don't think anybody, even the biggest fans can disagree with that. So when they started promoting the Marvels and they were putting out, and we've talked about it a lot on this show, a very pedestrian marketing campaign that hasn't really done anything to get anybody excited, but then the killer. And we talked about it on this show when we found out that they weren't re re lifting the review embargo for the Marvels 
I said, well, there you have it. That's it. The studio does not believe in this film. And as I always say, hey, studio, if you don't believe in your film, why should I believe in your film? And everything we have heard from every, including all of you guys watching, with very, very, very few exceptions, everybody has been expecting this movie to completely be horrible. And when people ask me, hey, John, are you excited about the Marvels? I would say, I'm interested in the Marvels. I don't know that I can say I'm excited because the trailers have not got us excited. So I'll be honest with you. When I woke up this morning and I knew the, the review embargo was lifting and Anne said, okay, there's the, the first thing. And I said, where's it at? I am not going to lie to you. I was fully expecting to see Morbius kind of numbers. Considering none of the journalists I follow have been excited about this film. None of you guys have been excited about this film. The trailers haven't done anything to get to raise people's hopes. And the very fact that they weren't releasing the review embargo until the day of, or at least the day before, I mean, that's a killer. That's a knife in the heart right there. I was fully expecting to hear mid twenties to low thirties. So I was a little bit surprised when I opened it up and saw that actually the majority of the critics seem to like it. As of this moment, there's 110 reviews being counted on Rotten Tomatoes. And they are saying, and right now they're saying 55%. The actual statistic at this moment, well, that's funny. This, this number is different than the first one. But the actual number they're giving right now is that as of right now, out of, this number says they're counting 94 reviews. The top part says 110. Anyway, uh, they're saying that out of the 94 critics, 52 like the movie and say it's good. 42 say it's not. Let me see if I can blow this up a bit. Um, 52 say it's good and I blew it up too much. So now I got to 52 say it's good. 42 say it's not. Okay. That is significantly better than I thought it was going to be. And Sean, you and I were talking about this before the thing. Mm -hmm. I think this, you said too, this is higher than you thought it was going to be. Uh, for me, it's, it's considerably higher than I thought it was going to be. Okay, great. The reviews are better than expected. 55% <laughs> is- At 55%, how the bread might have fallen. Yeah, right? I, and, and that's the point. That's the point. This is where the MCU is at now. That a 55% comes up and you got to go- and, you're, and I catch myself saying, wow, that's better than I thought it was going to be. And I think, I, I think if most people are honest, I think if most people are honest, they'll say, yeah, that's better than I thought it would be too. Because everything we've seen so far has suggested that it would be lower than this. And you know what? There's still more reviews to come in. The Rotten Tomatoes number always fluctuates. It could go up a little bit, could go down significantly. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. But that brings us again to this point. That remember the days when a new Marvel project was coming out and we got ready for the day that the review embargoes were lifted, usually a week or two before the movie came out, because back then Marvel believed in their projects. And when those numbers were getting ready to come out, all of us expected to see 80 plus that used to be the expectation, 80 plus. And when would come, one would come in at like 77, we'd go, what went wrong? How, how, how did a, 
How did the great Marvel movie machine, how did it get as low as 77? And here we are now, flash forward just like two, three years. And we're in this place now where a movie like this gets a 55. Again, that means the majority of the critics like it. Great. But we're seeing 55 and we're going, well, it's better than we thought it would be. Imagine going back three years, going back to just before Endgame or sometime between Infinity War and Endgame or even before Infinity War and talking about a time that's coming when a new Marvel movie will come out and it getting a 55 is making us go, well, that's better than we all thought it was going to get. It's in, we would have pulled a Vincini. We would have said it's inconceivable, but that's where we are. And you know, when I said back right around before Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and what a stinker that was came out, I said, here's the problem, Sean, the magic is gone. And when I say that the no. magic is gone, a lot of people misinterpret what I mean by that because people say, oh, so you're saying Marvel can't make anything good? No, obviously Marvel can still make good things. They do still make good things here and there. Guardians 3, wonderful, right? So they can. But Sean, when I say the magic, what I mean is this, that back in phases one, two, and three, and you know, phases one, two, and three had the odd film that wasn't great too, but in phases one, two, and three, they did what no other studio could do, that every time a new Marvel movie was coming out, we all expected it to be great. Yep. We would go into the theaters not wondering if it would be great. We used to go into the theaters expecting, like we just knew that it's going to be great and we're going to have a great time. It was magic. And since I'll say Endgame, that magic is gone. We have moved, and I've said this before, we have moved from a place that we're going in expecting a movie to be great to now we're walk into a Marvel film hoping it'll be good. We've gone yeah. from expecting it would be great to hoping it'll be just good. And that's not the way the MCU used to be, but mm -hmm. it's where we're at. So yeah, hundred percent. Like I see some people saying in the in the live chat, how can you say that it, it, at 55% is better than expected? Because it is better than expected. <laughs> you all thought it would be lower than that. I thought it would be lower than that. It's better than we expected. But the fact that 55 is better than we expected is a horrible testament to where Marvel is right now. And it just, quite frankly, to use a bib biblical term, it makes me lament, Sean. It makes mm -hmm. me lament where the MCU is now. Now, look, I'm looking forward tomorrow to watching the next episode of Loki. Um, yeah, but it's just that that time, that magic, that, that era that we used to be in when all these Marvel films would come out and they were all great, those days have been replaced with Moon Knight. And those days have been replaced with She-Hulk. And those days have been replaced with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And those days have been replaced with a Captain Marvel movie of the Marvels coming out and getting a middling 55%. And we're going, phew, 
Glad it wasn't worse. <laughs> and and beyond that, guys, the box office for this thing looks bleak. Now, you guys know that the box office projections for the Marvels has been the opening weekend was going to be between 75 and $80 million. Well, as we talked about yesterday on our open mic show, those projections have come down all the way down to 60% or $60 million. Granted, most movies getting a $60 million opening, they'd be popping bottles. I'm not saying they wouldn't. But to go from $80 million, which would have been half of what the first Captain Marvel made, down to $60 million is concerning. And here's where it gets even more concerning, if you guys will indulge me for but a moment. This is the AMC. If those of you who joined me on open mic yesterday, we did this little exercise yesterday, but follow me along as we do it again. This is the AMC ticket ordering page for my theater that I go to, the AMC Tyler Galleria in Riverside, California. Not Sticksville Cahoots, some tiny little town. Riverside, California is a big city, about an hour outside of LA. This is the theater I go to, all right? So this right now, the page is open to Friday. That's the official, we know it comes out tomorrow, but the official opening day is Friday, right? Let's look at the IMAX screen, shall we? Let's look at the, there's a 545, but let's look at the first primetime IMAX screening at 8.30 p.m., okay? The first primetime on the opening Friday of the Marvels. How many tickets have they sold? 12. Well, maybe it's more than that. 3, 10, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 21 tickets. 21 tickets in the First Friday primetime screening on an IMAX screen, they've sold like 21 tickets. Okay, if we go to the AMC Prime Dolby Theater at 7.15, yeah, the Prime Dolby Theater, 7.15, it's practically sold out. You got some single tickets here and there. You got the front section, which nobody likes to sit in. Okay, not, not bad, not bad, not bad. But let's go to the first screening in a regular screen. Let's look at a 6.30 p.m. screening on their regular laser-projected AMC theater. How many people have bought tickets to go see it on the opening Friday night? We got one group of seven people. Look at those empty seats. One row... <laughs> One group, at least I'm assuming these people are in a group, hopefully not a bunch of individuals who've just gotten seats all beside each other, but one group of seven people have gone in. Okay, so let's jump back and let's look at the Thursday, which is tomorrow, the opening night. If we go to the AMC Prime screen again, we're going to see it's pretty much sold out other than the front section. A couple, You see a couple of single seats there. That's fine. That's in the AMC Prime Theater. Well, what about that IMAX 830 screen tomorrow night? Look at this. Three, four, five, nine, 14. Like, again, around the 20 mark. This is opening night, guys. This is opening night on an IMAX screen. And if we go down to the 630 screening of uh, in the laser, look at that. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 11 or 12 seats sold. So their, their prime movie theater 
it's getting sold out. Okay, great. That that's wonderful. But that one screen is not going to make you your money. So between the sad state that the MCU is in right now, again, they, they put out some great, there's still some great stuff that comes out. I'm not saying they don't. I'm enjoying some of the stuff they're putting out, but they're just putting out a lot more substandard stuff than normal. So that state of the MCU combined with the fact that they, well, they haven't been able to go out and promote the film. I, 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 that's hurt it too. Yes. But I mean, coming off of in like uh, secret wars or secret invasion, I should say, coming off of stuff like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, coming off of stuff like She-Hulk, coming off of stuff like Moon Knight. Uh, you know, Sean, it's just, we're at a point now where we're opening up seating charts for a brand new MCU film and seeing tons of empty seats. We're seeing a 55% and going, wow, that's better than we thought. What world are we living in? Like that's just a thing. Anyway, Sean, you, you actually had a chance to see the film. Mm -hmm. um, but you also see all this kind of stuff transpiring. What's, what's your perspective on this whole thing? Uh, it's, it's really disappointing. My, my channel grew on the wave of phase three, that excitement that we were all so excited to see these movies. There was that expectation of quality. You trusted the brand and there was a certain level of consistency. We all had our least favorites, but there was consistency with what they were doing. And that's the thing that feels like it's gone. I have so many conversations with people where they say, I just can't keep up with all of it. I've been disappointed too many times. So it's no longer, I go no matter what. It's not even, I go unless I've heard that it's not going to be good. It's shifted to, I don't go, I don't watch it unless I have heard it is good combined mm. with what homework do I need to do before I watch this movie? And that's such a shift from not that long ago. And like, even for me, I like to go opening night to a very specific screen. That's the biggest screen in my area. And it used to be, if I wasn't there right then when tickets went on sale, I wouldn't be able to get tickets to that screen. I was late to the Marvel's. And they hadn't sold any tickets for two days. Hmm. And now it's pretty full now. Uh, it's not packed, but it's pretty full now. But it took forever because that rush, that demand, that it's must see, that trust, it's just gone. And this movie is not going to be the one that wins people back. Superficially, it's very fun. It has a lot of humor, but it is a mess with the story, the tone. So I, I took my nine-year-old and she had a lot of fun with it. I got home. My wife asked, do you think I'll like the movie? And I said, I think you'll have a lot of fun with this movie, but it's not a good movie. And it's filled with a lot of things that are the exact sort of cringe, what on earth are you doing moments that are causing people to be confused as to how the MCU is getting so far off course with some of these odd choices and in the case of this movie, with all the rumors of four weeks of reshoot and test screenings to try and correct things, you watch the movie and you feel that. It feels like big chunks mm. of the movie are just missing. It feels like a sequel to a Captain Marvel film that we haven't seen. That if Ooh, we had say that seen again. that movie. I, I like to say that again. That was a really good statement. So what I said in my review is that this movie is both season two of Miss Marvel as well as Captain Marvel 3. 
and I said that right, it feels like it's a sequel to a Captain Marvel movie that we haven't seen. And when you see the film, that'll make sense because there's kind of like flashbacks and they use exposition to explain things. And you're like, wait, that's the Captain Marvel 2 that I wanted. And you watch this movie and it informs Captain Marvel's backstory, the villain's backstory, their relationship to each other, the stakes, the conflict, everything. And it's just like casually mentioned as exposition at some point in time. So it just undermines the whole film that we don't didn't get to experience that. And so it's just a movie that is very, very messy, but it's superficially very entertaining. So I'm not terribly surprised that a lot of people out of the theater went, that was a lot of fun. That was a blast because uh, actually, as you said, where it's, it's a great sign when an actor is so good that they can stand out in a bad movie. You said that uh, about the secret headquarters. That's Amon Vellani in this movie. She's fantastic. Oh, I she's love great. her so she's much. She's so charming. She's so fun. And the, the, one of the great things about this weekend, a ton of people are going to leave this film and go watch Miss Marvel for the first time because she's easily the best thing about the film. But she's not in a good movie. She's in a very messy movie that she's carrying on her shoulders by herself. She's carrying this gigantic movie with her charm and her instant likability. So, man, I, it's it's frustrating. Like, I don't want to come out of a Marvel movie and be disappointed being the bearer of bad news, but... Uh, if all you need is a superficial fun roller coaster ride with a lot of laughs, you'll get that. There's a ton of cringe. It feels like parts of the movie are missing and it is just messy. The tones all over the place. It's, it's just so disappointing to see where the MCU is currently at. And breaking news. Uh, the tomato meter now on the Marvels has gone up to 56%. That changes everything. <laughs> woo! Change. Woo. Well, Ch- changes everything. Great. Again, I, I I mean it's it's just a saying that I feel like I need to get on a t-shirt. We just we've gone from going into a Marvel movie expecting it to be great to now we go into a Marvel film hoping that it's good. And mm-hmm. this is just not good. Again, I get it. There are some movies that'll come out at 55%. It's like, you know what? Great. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's a Godzilla movie or maybe it's a something other kind of movie. But this is a franchise that we became accustomed to going in, having an absolute blast, critics loving it, box office loving it, audiences loving it. And now we're at, hey, 55. Better than we thought it would be. <laughs> and it's just... for. For over 10 years, for 25 movies, every single one of them was fresh. Yeah. The low point, the low mark was 66 with Thor the Dark World. That was the low mark. And for years, everything was even over 70%. As you mentioned, we expected it to be over 80%. And in the last several years, third movie, Rotten. And we're not surprised that it's rotten. Nope. Nope. We're actually surprised it's as high as it is. (laughs) Yeah. We were shocked when Eternals went rotten. Like, oh no, it finally happened. And then coming after several things, after the trailers, after Secret Invasion, we went, oh yeah, that's not, that's not too bad. Oh, that, that hurts my stomach. I'm like, what has happened? I'm, ah. Yeah. So, uh. 
guys. Just, just by the way, it's an interesting little side note. You know, a bunch of, uh, not all the reviews are in, but there's some notable ones. Some of the notable positive reviews have come from The Hollywood Reporter, IGN, Guardian, USA Today, TV Line. Some of the notable negative reviews that have come out for it, Variety, The New York Post, Newsday, The Times, The Associated Press. So, I mean, it's it's truly is almost completely divided right down the middle between the number of critics who liked it versus the number who didn't. It's just that that's just not good enough for a Marvel film. That just doesn't cut it. And if you're going to continue to just put out mediocre product, we're going to continue to see the MCU slide. And I take no joy in saying that. I love the MCU. I want to see it thrive. I want to see all Mm -hmm. movies be great. I want to see all movies be successful. But this path they're on, man, they've, they've, I mean, everybody knows they need to make a course correction, but it's just with every new thing that comes out, a few exceptions, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, you know, stuff like that. But it becomes more and more evident they need a massive course correction and they need it soon. All right, guys. With that all down, we're going to go over and start taking your questions that you guys have been firing into the Super Chats. But before we do that, we're going to take a moment and say thank you to Sean Chandler for being here again today. Sean, you're awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Kirk Never Died and on YouTube at Sean Chandler Talks About... um, Talking movies, reviewing movies. I have my full review out for the Marvels already if you want to hear my in-depth thoughts on it. All right. Thanks a lot for being here again, Sean. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one. And uh, guys, we're now going to move over to your questions. But before we do, we're going to take another quick moment and thank another sponsor, the main sponsor of the John Campion Show, YouTube channel, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring this episode of the john campia show podcast all right guys with that down let's get on over and start taking your live questions here today shall we that's not the right screen that's the right screen uh we're and by the way guys the super chats are still open but i'm going to be shutting them off in just a minute or two so if you've got a thought comment question observation uh go ahead and fire it in here quickly because i'm going to be turning them off in a minute anyway david cashmore writes is kevin feige going to replace kathleen kennedy from lucasfilm i highly doubt it uh did disney want kathleen kennedy and uh kathleen kennedy out and put kevin feige in they want kathleen kennedy out um I, I again i've been telling you guys for a while she'll be out by the end of the year uh but even though there was a time that I thought maybe Kevin Feige could take over Lucasfilm. The reality is for Kevin Feige, that would just professionally, that would just be a lateral move. 
Uh, I think the next move Kevin Feige is uh, does is going to be a promotion from where he is now, whether that's in Disney or at another studio. But uh, I, I would like to see him take over Lucasfilm, but I don't see him. I don't see that happening because again, I used to think otherwise, but I think it would just be a lateral move for him. But who knows? We'll find out. All right. Uh, next up. Damaris Love writes, uh, truth be told, I don't trust critics because if I listen to them, I would probably not form my own opinion, uh, but all film is subjective. That's not true at all, Damaris. <laughs> you can listen to other, like, are you saying if you talk to your friends about movies and they tell you their opinions about movies, you're not going to have your own opinion? Of course you're going to have your own opinion. Look, listening to film critics is like anything else. It's like before you buy a car, you read some reviews because you just want to be informed. You want to know what some people like about it. You want to know what some people don't like about it. And then you kind of put that all together and start to form, you know, a kind of a picture of your own. Whether you're going to buy a new laptop, you know, you don't just go and drop $2,000 on a new laptop. You, you read some of the reviews. You hear what some people like about it, what other people don't like about it. You start to put that all together. I believe to be an educated consumer of movies, because going to a movie is an investment of time and money. I think to be a wise consumer, you should listen to reviews, not to let them form your opinion for you, but to get a sense. Hey, you know, this is what some people are saying they like about the movie. This is what other people are saying they don't like about the movie. And I think that's why, you know, sites like Rotten Tomatoes gets the millions and millions and millions of views every single month is because people just want to get a little bit of an idea about what are they investing in when they invest their time and money to go see a movie, but never to replace your own opinion, your own thoughts. Not at all. All right. Next up, Sam Fisher writes, I'm fine with Link talking. He has to, but I would love it if they treat him like uh, Mando and he doesn't talk a lot. Also, Link and Zelda should be unknown actors. I don't agree with that. I never agree that an, that any role should have a super famous actor or should have an unknown actor. Get the best actor for the part, period. If the best actor for the part ends up being this unknown that nobody else has ever heard of, but you screen tested them and they're perfect for the part, go with that unknown actor. But if there's an actor who does have a name and people will recognize them, but they're perfect for the role, don't go, ah, yeah, they're perfect for the role and they'll make our movie better but let's not get him because some people know who he is. Like, I, I just kind of feel like you should take whether they're known or unknown out of the equation and just go for the best actor available. But, you know, there's advantages. There would be advantages to getting an unknown as well. All right. Next up, uh, Nat Reeds writes, in terms of vampire movies, are there any lessons do you think Blade could learn from Morbius? Uh, the vampire aspect in Mobius, uh, Morbius left a watered down and censored. That was None of that was the problem with Morbius. Uh, feeling watered down wasn't the problem. The problem was much bigger than that. Feeling censored, the movie never felt censored to me. That was not the problem. It was just a terribly made movie. Forget the fact that it was a vampire movie. Bad characters, bad story flow, bad dimension building. When I say dimension building, I'm not talking about multiverse or anything like that. I'm talking about like the multiple aspects of storylines that converge to tell one narrative flow. They just did everything that comes with making a movie. They did badly, you know? And I think the lesson that you take if you're making Blade is forget the fact that you're a vampire movie. Just like Pixar. Pixar doesn't say, how do we make a good animated movie? Pixar starts by saying, how do we make a good movie? Period. 
And if the people at, who are making Blade start at that position, forget that it's about vampires, forget it's in the MCU. How do we make this a good movie? How do we write great, compelling characters with good conflicts, a compelling antagonist, you know, all that kind of stuff. You do the right things with the right building blocks of a movie, and then you add on top of that the fact that it's vampires and in the MCU, then you'll be in a much better position to succeed, unlike, say, something like Morbius. Um, all right, next up. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know what? By the way, Rena is saying in the live chat, and I don't agree, Rena's saying that she thinks that Jared Leto was miscast. I don't agree. I think Jared Leto in that role easily could have worked. The problem with Mor Morbius was not Leto's performance. It was the dialogue, story, all that kind of stuff. I think Leto could have worked. I think he could have worked, but of course he didn't. Uh, Remy Alistra, uh, right, just sends in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you, Remy. Walter Whitewalker says, uh, you and Mitchell, uh, Amond from House of the Dragon for Link. That's not a bad little pick. I, I didn't know the name you uh, and Mitchell, but Amon from House of the Dragon. That's not a bad little pick. I like that one, Walter. Uh, next up, we got Amin who writes, haven't been to the theater since the creator over a month ago, so I'm going to probably see the Marvels this weekend. Can't say I'm excited, though. Hey, listen, and that's Marvel's fault. It's Marvel's fault that not a lot of people, including you, including me, are excited to see the Marvels, right? Number one, because the way they've navigated the MCU lately has not been something to get us excited. And number two, their marketing campaign hasn't really done anything to get us excited. They've done some things in some of the trailers that were solid and that look kind of interesting. Like, I'm interested in seeing the movie, but I think most people, I mean, are just not excited to see it. Uh, all right, next up. Patrick Hamilton writes, I hope Marvel makes the right changes to get themselves out of this hole that they are in. I love Marvel and prefer it over DC, but I am one foot out the door. I don't know how much more I can take. <sighs> you know, it, I'm going to take these off now since Sean's not with us anymore. Um, oh, sweaty ears. Um, that's the problem, right? Your projects create the expectation that your audience has for your future projects. When we go back to Marvel, the MCU phases one, two, and three, every film was a, not every film, but you know, practically every film was a banger. Big hit with the audience, with the box office, with the critics. It was crushing it. And so the expectation was there. The excitement was there. It was like a wave momentum, right? But it happens the opposite way too. You start putting out mediocre and disappointing project after mediocre and disappointing project, those expectations come down. The excitement comes down. Again, I've said it a million times today. I'll say it again. We have gone from expecting a Marvel project to be great to hoping it'll be good. And that's a, that's a reflection of our expectations have come way down. And with expectations come down, excitement level comes down. How do you fix it? Make good movies again. And I know that's that's way harder than it sounds. I know I make it sound like it's easy and I don't mean to, but it got to start making good movies again. That's the only way to turn this around. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Patrick. 
Next up, Marie Seifring writes, have you seen the Ghostbusters Frozen Empire trailer and are you looking forward to the movie when it releases next March? Thanks. I adored Ghostbusters Afterlife. I really had a lot of fun. I thought it was the best Ghostbusters thing since the original movie. Um, I had a blast with it. I'm very much looking forward to seeing the new one. Did I love the new trailer? I'd be lying if I said I loved it. I, I thought it was perfectly fine. It's a good little first trailer. Remember, it's just a first trailer. The movie's still a ways off. It was perfectly fine as a first trailer. I thought it was okay. But I'd be lying if I said I loved it. But I am very excited for this movie, again, because I, I really adored the first one. I thought the first one was great. All right, next up, Quantum of Zen writes, the studio should be able to use AI images of performers in perpetuity. I disagree. Oh, as long as they pay each and every actor, including background, at least 20 million up front and in cash. You know what, Quantum? You just solved the strike. I think if the studios went to the actors and said, you know what? We're going to give each of you 20 million up front and in cash in order to still be used. I, I think probably a lot of actors would say yes to that. I think that would probably break the strike almost right away. I think you're on to, you should be a negotiator, Quantum. I think because I think you're on to something. All right, next up, Amin writes, nine years ago, Big Hero 6 was released. God, that movie was so good. Uh, how this film didn't get a sequel, I will never understand. It had everything. Why do you think it didn't happen? You know what? We've had that discussion many times about why did Big Hero 6 not get a sequel? It's not the best animated film ever, but I mean, it was very charming, great heroes. The voice cast was great. It was a very fun movie. I don't know if it had something to do with contract disputes with the voice actors or if it had to do with the fact that they decided they wanted to take it to television. Because remember, there's a Big Hero 6 animated series, right? And maybe they just decided they wanted to go that way. But man, I really wish they had done a sequel. I think it's too late for it now, but I really wish they had done a sequel. Uh, all right. Uh, one of Anne's friends was one of the stars of that movie. It was one of the main voice actors of that movie. Anyway, uh, El Andres writes... Your rants are some of the best content online. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't like ranting, but every once in a while, something just bugs me. All right. It's Debat writes, on the topic of why TV shows take longer to make now, Craig Mazin said it's because of the visual effects. There's a shortage of visual effects artists and they're already being overworked. Okay. That is true, right? People don't understand how bad the pipeline workflow in Hollywood is with visual effects right now. Cause, and, and Marvel is kind of at the center of that because they have so much content with so many visual effects. However, there's also a lot of shows that don't use a lot of visual effects that still take like two years to make a new season. So while I adore Mason and I respect what he said, the reality is there have been many examples of shows that don't use a ton of visual effects. And I mean, because here's the other thing. A lot of these shows, they don't even go into production a lot of the times until almost a year after the last season aired. So visual effects is definitely a problem, but it's not the problem. You know what I mean? Because again, there have been many examples when visual effects had nothing to do with it. So uh, it's still something that's out there, man. All right, <clears throat> next up, 
Corny Jules writes, top three films of 2023 so far. Talk to me was very good. Uh, Rye Lane, I did not see Rye Lane. And number one, Killers of a Flower Moon. I hope you catch any of these movies, John. Rye Lane is on Hulu. That's the only one I haven't seen. As of right now, I love Killers of the Flower Moon. It's not in my top three. Uh, Right now, I think my three favorite films of the year are still number one, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Number two, Oppenheimer, which I just thought was ludicrously good. And you know what? I still, I know nobody talks about it anymore. I still love Air. I thought Air was fantastic. Now, there are still a lot of films coming out this year that I'm really stoked to see. I think Wonka is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to Napoleon. Um, There's a bunch of high-profile projects still coming up, but we'll see how it kind of ends up. All right. Next up. Uh, Mr. NTI writes, "Uh, what did you think of the new Ghostbusters trailer? Okay. I thought the new Ghostbusters trailer was okay. I'm very excited about the movie. Can't wait to watch it. The trailer was all right. Again, it was just the first trailer. Milo Murphy writes, Jim Carrey as Eggman, Jack Black as Bowser. I wonder what comedian will play Ganon. Also, Walker Scoble would be perfect as Link. I, again, listen, I say Walker Scoble, but I haven't read the script, right? Maybe if I read the script, I'd go, oh, actually Walker is not the right fit for this, right? So it all depends on the script. This is just pure fantasy casting, but I love the idea of him. You know what? I don't think they're going to go that yuck, yuck route. It worked great in Sonic with Jim Carrey, who was amazing in those Sonic movies. Jack Black as Bowser was fantastic, but I don't think they're going to go that way. I don't think they're going to go in that direction with... uh, with a Zelda movie. I think they're going to not make it deadly dramatic serious, but a little bit more take yourself a little bit more seriously than say those films did. So we'll see. All right. Next up shamrock vibes writes regarding Marvel. They just need good storytellers. I I mean, listen, that's, that's where you got to start, right? But here's the problem too. Just like most things in movies, average movie fans thinks everything is easy. Oh, just make a good movie. That's a Herculean, very difficult thing to do. Just write a great story. You know what? As somebody who I used to have a gig for a studio reading scripts, and I can tell you sometimes really good scripts get turned into bad movies. It happens. So writing a good story is difficult. Like everybody who doesn't do it thinks it's easy, right? But it's not easy. It's very, very hard. And then sometimes when you can, when you can capture lightning in a bottle and you do get a well-written story and a good script, then comes the enormous task of then translating that from the page actually into production and putting it on screen. And that's a monumental task. And sometimes good scripts get turned into bad movies. So that is definitely a part of it, Shamrock. 100%, that's part of it. But it's not the only thing that they uh, they need to do. All right, Smash Machine writes, do you think Marvel's downturn in quality is Bob Chapek's fault? I think it's overly simplistic to just say it's Bob Chapek's fault. I think there's a lot of dynamics. I think they may have already been on the path to getting themselves in trouble. Because you guys know who followed me for a long time. I have said for years, Marvel is starting to overstretch itself way too thin. 
You only have so much quality that you can put into something. And the more projects you make, the lower quality it's all going to be. And back in the day when Marvel used to do like three projects a year, it's not a coincidence that back when they were doing three projects a year, banger, banger, banger. When they're trying to do seven projects a year, banger, miss, banger, miss, miss, mediocre, miss, pretty good. I mean, it's not a coincidence. The thing, there was a big change of direction though when Bob Chapek took over because two things happened. Number one, Bob Chapek created a new management structure and stripped authority away from Kevin Feige and other studio heads, but we're talking about the MCU. Bob Chapek stripped away a bunch of Kevin uh, Kevin Feige's authority to make certain key decisions about content, what projects will get made, and where those projects go. All that was taken away from him and given to some middle management bankers. So that was the first big, oh God, things are going to go really bad moment. The second thing he did was with COVID happening at the time, because let's never forget that Bob Chapek took over Disney during COVID and that that's not easy. Okay. As much as I dislike the job that Bob Chapek did, let's at least give him a little grace in saying, Hey, we all understand he took over Disney under very difficult circumstances. Okay. I don't take that away from him. But besides that management structure change, stripping away power from Kevin Feige, With the pandemic, he decided, let's take this thing that Bob Iger created, Disney Plus, but we're going to triple down on it. And he more than doubled the output order for how much content he wanted on Disney Plus. Thus adding to this snowball effect of their started producing way too much. They were getting spread way too thin. All of a sudden, because here's the thing, right? When you have three projects, You can pick your best three writers that you have available to you to work on those projects. You can pick your best three directors that you've got available to you to work on those projects. You can pick out the three best cinematographers that you've got at your disposal to put on those projects. But what happens when now you're doing seven? When you're doing seven, suddenly now you've got four sets of writers, four directors, and four cinematographers that last year wouldn't have been good enough to work on one of your projects when you're only doing three. We got our top three. Those other four aren't good enough to work t- to work on these three projects. But now that you got seven, suddenly people who weren't good enough to work on your projects, you've got working on your projects now. I'm oversimplifying it. I 100% acknowledge that I am, but it's just, I'm just kind of setting an example. That's all. I'm just trying to make an example. Anyway, <coughs> Skeleton Strange New World fan writes, uh, what does your new assistant host, wait a second, what does your new assistant host think of, oh, my assistant host, you mean Sean. What does Sean think of Star Trek Strange New Worlds? I, we haven't had a big discussion about it on the show, but I believe Sean likes it. I mean, I know I really like it. I think he likes it too. I think he talked about that a little bit. I'll double check with him to see how he does. But yeah, I think Strange New Worlds is fantastic. All right. Maria Della Carmen Martinez Vincente writes, what do you think will happen with Marvel Studios if, when uh, the Marvels flops? Nothing, nothing. Listen, right now, the Marvels, sorry, not the Marvel, Marvel, the MCU, they are fully aware of the state they're in right now, right? Nothing is going to shock and surprise them with the Marvels. They know what the box office projections are. They see 
the response coming out. Listen, they knew the reviews weren't going to be great. That's why they held off the review embargo until the, the movie came out. Let me say that again. Listen to me. Okay. Marvel knew that the reviews for this movie were not going to be good. That's why they held the review embargo until the day before the movie came out. If Marvel thought for a second that the reviews are going to be in the 70s and 80s or 90s, they would have lifted this review embargo a week and a half ago, like they always used to do. And don't give me this bullshit excuse of, they're trying to hide the surprise. No, they're trying to hide the movie, right? So Marvel knows exactly what they're going to get at the box office from this. They knew exactly what kind of response they were going to get from it. So they're already in the position they are. Marvel being a flop or being a hit wasn't really going to change anything. It's all about how do they adjust moving forward. Um, anyway, next up, Evan Alvarez writes, Hey, John, thank you for providing us such a, such a rich film community. Well, thank you for being here. Thoughts on Nina DaCosta moving on to her next film during uh, the post of Marvels. You know what? I, I Again, remember, I have not seen the Marvels yet. I've got no opinion of the movie. I'm going to see it tomorrow. But... I do not understand why there were some people making a big deal out of that. Steven Spielberg has done that several times. Go look it up. Uh, there have been a couple of occasions when Spielberg himself has like worked on a film, got it to a certain point in post-production, but then had another movie lined up and he was able to hand off the rest of the responsibilities to other people and he went on to work. I think that happened around Jurassic Park, as a matter of fact. And then he was able to then move on and start working on another thing. It's not ideal, but I mean, I'm reading a bunch of these articles from people who are acting like this has never been done before. It's like, no, this is, this, I mean, it's not normal. It's not normal. It's unusual, but it's happened a number of times, including with the greatest filmmaker of all time with Steven Spielberg. She's no Steven Spielberg. Nobody is, but yeah, it's it, honestly, that was not, there have been many issues with this late review embargo, mediocre ad campaign, like all that kind of stuff. The director, after already getting the movie into post-production, having to move on to her next contractual commitment is not a big deal. It's happened before. It'll happen again. So I, I didn't really think that was much of an issue, to be honest with you. Uh, there are other issues that they have. All right. Next up, uh, Chubbs writes, just watch the Marvels. It was just good. Definitely better than Thor 4 and Quantumania. God, it better be better than Quantumania. Uh, Ms. Marvel and her family was great, but Carol and Photon were disappointing to watch. Guardians of the Galaxy uh, 4, there is no Guardians of the Galaxy 4, was better. I think you probably mean Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You know, one of the common things that we're hearing from both the, the reviewers who are liking the movie and disliking the movie is that Iman Vellani is great in it. And I love hearing that because I love the Ms. Marvel show. I thought the Ms. Marvel show was really, really fantastic. I, 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 I thought it was wonderful. So I love hearing from both the critics who liked the movie and didn't like the movie, including from Sean, that uh, Ms. Marvel is fantastic in it. Uh, by the way, there it is. It's up to 56, guys. When I woke up this morning, it was at 51. Now it's at 56. Pop the bottles. Um... Yeah, it's, it's good to hear that Amon Vellani is good in it because I just adore her. I think she's going to be a superstar. I really do. She's so endearing. All right. Uh, Rog B. Cool writes, uh, Hey, John, have you seen Anatomy of a Fall? I saw it last weekend and thought it was probably the most captivating courtroom drama I've ever seen. 
I'll be honest with you, at the top of my head, I can't even remember what that is. I've got this buzzing in my head telling me I've seen it and I just can't remember what it is. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Um, all right. With that down, guys, uh, we still got a couple of minutes here. I'm going to go over and take some uh, some comments and questions from you guys uh, in the uh, in the live chat there. Uh, we got AMN being very optimistic, saying, come on, Marvels, you can climb higher than 56. Again, that's the that's the Marvel we live in now. Where, come on, you could be better than 56 when not long ago, coming out 80 plus was, ooh, yeah, that's normal for Marvel, coming out 80, 85, 90, 92. Now it's like, ooh, maybe it can get to 57. Ooh, right? Now, granted, it's, it's better than I expected. I expected it to be in the mid-20s, low-30s. I think most of you, if you're being honest, you thought it was too. But, I mean, that's that's the reality of Marvel now. We're hoping that maybe if it works real hard, says its prayers, does its homework, and eats its vitamins. What did Hulk Hogan used to say? Eat, uh, eat your vitamins, say your prayer, whatever. Do the Hulkamaniac thing that maybe... You can get to 57 or 58%. Woo! How times have changed. How times have changed, my friends. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, yes. Uh, some love from the Philippines. Thanks for that, man. We got... Um, uh, I am very positive, man. I don't like hating. I Listen, I don't... I'm not trying... Listen, let me be very clear. I am not trying to be hateful on Marvel at all. Like, not in the least. But I, I'm a fan of Marvel. But you also got to call it like you see it. And I've been telling you guys for years that they, they've they just gotten stretched too thin. I know everybody's gotten sick of hearing me saying it. But we continuously see the results of them being stretched as thin as they are. And, um, yeah. And well, that is what it is. Um, let's see. Uh, Emerald saying they chose the wrong order of their films. The Wasp was the first leader of the Avengers. They should have done their movies and shown it in chronological order. Nobody cares about Johnny come lately. Emerald, if you think that's what the problem, you, if you think they just did the movies in different order, I, I got bad news for you, man. That isn't going to change anything. It's like shuffling the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. The ship is going down, whether you shuffle the chairs or not. If you take, eight Marvel projects and five of them are mediocre and maybe three of them are good. It doesn't matter what order you put them in. That's the, the order they do things in is not what the issue has been at Marvel. Like that's not the problem. It's the quality of the overall filmmaking. And some people are saying, well, you gotta, you'll fix it by putting in mutants. Guess what? If you keep making seven projects a year, and you keep not giving enough love and attention to each individual product, and you keep making a lot of your projects in a mediocre way, it doesn't matter if Wolverine's in them or not. There's still going to be mediocre movie. A mediocre movie with Captain Marvel is no better than a mediocre movie with Star-Lord, which would be no better than a mediocre movie with Black Widow. A mediocre movie is a mediocre movie. Just swapping out a character doesn't make the movie any better. And that's, you know, that's that's part of the reality that, that they're in right now. Um, Kyle Fielder is asking, 
Are you excited for Reacher season two? Very much. Uh, Reacher season two trailer just dropped and I thought it was really good. I thought the trailer was really good. The first season was fantastic. I love that show. So I'm very much looking forward uh, to that coming back. Um, all right. Um, so no, this is the one we have. So uh, Angel saying, so people wouldn't watch a new X-Men movie? Angel, nobody said nobody would watch a new X-Men movie. We're talking about whether they, how they make their movies and whether it'll be good. If you put the same sub-level amount of attention, time, and resources and Kevin Feige's attention into a new X-Men movie, just being X-Men does not make the movie any better. Not saying people wouldn't want to be, go out and check it out, but newsflash, they had X-Men movies out lately and not a lot of people were going out to them. Is it a little bit different now that it's on Marvel? Absolutely. I'm not saying that it's not. But just thinking... Oh, just put out X-Men and it's going to be a billion dollar film. Well, history has shown that's not true. And we're not talking about whether people would be interested. We're talking about whether or not they make good movies. And they got to fix a number of things over there at Marvel in order for these X-Men films to be good. So, yeah. And the same thing. What about New Fantastic Four? Same thing. If they don't put the right energy, love, attention, proper pre-production, preparation, all that kind of stuff in it, the New Fantastic Four is going to suck. But if they do put the right attention, the right care, the right dedication, the right resources, if they do all that right, then Fantastic Four can be good. And uh, we'll see how that all works out. Um, last one I'm going to take here uh, is from um, uh, the Trib One who's saying, what about Echo? Hey, listen, Echo looks good. The trailer, no doubt, looks really good. Okay? It does. But it still has that big red flag that they're dropping all the episodes at once, which tells me that they don't believe in it. That they don't believe if they released Echo one episode per week, that the audience excitement will build, that word of mouth will spread, that more people will jump on the show as each week progresses, just like they did with WandaVision and all that kind of stuff. Marvel doesn't believe that. So the trailer looked great. I'm totally with you on that. Echo trailer looked amazing and it definitely got me interested in seeing the show, but I still have some really, really big doubts about it. I still have some really, really big doubts about it. So we'll see. All right, guys, with that all down, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because you gave us really fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. By the way, guys, I just introduced this um, on uh, open mic yesterday. And I don't know, I'm, I now have the ability finally to bring up your comments in the live chat, like the Richards art uh, who love the Ghostbusters trailer, but it does, but it does seem like a global event. Wonder if they had teams, uh, they have teams and the world. Not quite sure what he means, but uh, what do you think about that little thing? I've, I've popped up some of your comments throughout the show. I kind of like having that little ability to do that. Anyway, guys, big special thank you also to Sean Chandler for joining us here today. You'll see him back here again. And uh, we will see you guys again tomorrow. Thanks a lot for being here, everybody. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.